Tonight we are concluding our study on Psalm 107. So if you open up to Psalm 107, please. And, uh, so tonight we're going to, like I said, we're going to conclude this. We'll start off in verse uh, 33 and uh, all the way to the end. And, you know, throughout the psalm, we see God's goodness to man. We see His mercy despite our disobedience. And we see the providential deliverances of God in our lives. And because of this, we are supposed to magnify Him for what He has done and is doing in our lives. And we are to praise Him wherever we go. And this psalm is a great reminder of, of this. We learn that when God's people wander from Him, He lets them get into trouble to bring them back to Himself. And many of God's people don't seem to realize or understand God's dealing with His people. In fact, I see this in, uh, in the prisons. You know, they blame God for all the bad and consider the good as good luck. Well, that should not be the case. I found this quote and it's uh, to an unnamed, it wasn't credited to anyone, but I thought it um, summarized Psalm 107 really well. It says this, Were it not for God's loving kindness, we would all be consumed. Let us be wise and know that God chastens us for our sin. But then know that God does this to bring us back to Him. And all He does is a demonstration of His loving kindness. You know, a truly wise person will treasure in his heart this delightful psalm. And from it, he will fully understand the weaknesses and the wretchedness of man and the power and loving kindness of God. And it's not for our merit, but for God's mercy's sake. All right, let's start off. So Psalm 107, starting off in verse number 33. He turned rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. You know that God has, who has the authority over the stormy seas can also transform creation itself. The transformation can be for good, from good to bad, you know, a fruitful land into barrenness, if the goal is the judgment of the wicked. But God can and does, by the operation of His providence, turn lands naturally fertile, lands abounding with streams into arid waste. In fact, let's take a look at this. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. And we see this abundant land, Lot, and Abram, in verse, Genesis 13, verse number 10, says this, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. And then let's see the, how, how this compares after the destruction in chapter 19. And starting off in verse number 14, it says, And Lot went and spake out to, unto his son-in-laws, which married his daughters and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the inequity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being more merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, they said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, 
neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said to, unto them, O not so, my lord. Behold, now the servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take, uh, take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and this is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither, and it is not a little one. And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow the city for which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. And then jump down to verse number 24. And then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city that which grew up unto the ground. You know, because of the depraved, depraved behavior, God can transform something that's lush, something that's fertile, right? This garden into a desert, a miserable, howling wilderness. And if we take a look at this, we also see this happening in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. And God specifically states in verses 1 and 2, He says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your inequities have ye sold yourself, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or do I have no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I drive the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stinking because there is no water, and die for thirst. Notice verse number one. It says there, behold, for your inequities have you sold yourself. You know, oftentimes what happens is that the destruction that happens in our lives is because is, is caused by ourselves. It is because of our lifestyle, what we're doing, our disobedience to God, that causes this destruction, this trend, the, the going from a life of abundance to a life without. And oftentimes what happens is that in God's dealing with man, God can cause a drought and all the rivers to dry up. God may be trying to get our attention to those. Um, God may be trying to get the attention of those who will not listen any other way. You know, God has full control over nature, right? And can either back his blessings or render them up to no avail. And here's what we have to um, understand. When God deals with the rebellious man, he can deprive them of those blessings of which they feel most assured. You know, businesses cease to yield profits, sources of wealth are made to fail, when health and strength are taken away, when friendly aids are drawn, withdrawn and comfortable associations are broken up. You know, I was um, in the mortgage industry in 2008, 2009 when we had the mortgage crisis. And you know what's fascinating about that is that up until that point in 2003, 2004, 2005, there was just this huge boom, this sale of homes, and in fact, a lot. Of, not only were there uh, a huge boom in sales of homes, but also what happened was is that the inflation, the uh, equity in homes, were rising so quickly that a lot of people, individuals, were taking out this equity in the form of home equity lines of credit. Right? You know, it's like you bought, you buy a house for five hundred thousand dollars, and now this home, the same home, is worth close to seven hundred thousand dollars. You didn't do anything, but yet it's it's gone up in value by $200,000. So what do you do? Now all of a sudden you got all this wealth. 
right? And then, so they, they take out this equity in the home. And then when the mortgage crisis hit in 08, 09, what happened? Now this home that was worth $700,000 is now worth $600,000, $580,000, I mean, I was getting calls left and right where clients were calling up and saying, hey, you, you know, my, my lender closed my line of credit. What do I do? It's like, not a whole lot. Because essentially what happened was that the lender loaned you, based upon the value at that time, $700,000. Now that your home is only worth $600,000, guess what? They don't want you taking out any more money, right? Because the home is now worth less than what, they, what they've loaned you. And essentially, so what happens is that God can deal with us in these ways. And it's not to say that these people uh, were doing anything wrong. It was just that we were in a period of abundance, you know, from... After um, 9-11, so 9-11 hit 2001, right? 2002, 2003, the market, the real estate market was kind of flat, but then it started picking up in 03, 04, 05, 06. So it started going up, 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 and all, all of a sudden, people that were house rich, I mean, that had homes, were now house rich. They, have, they were equity, they were flush with equity. And so what happened? And sadly, what happened is that we, I saw that, whereby people were spending money like it was going out of style. You know, they were spending money that they really did not have. Taking trips, so on and so forth, buying, you know, back then that's, that's when the, large, the big screen TV started coming into vogue. You know, so it was like, you start off with a 40 inch TV, next thing you know, you got a 50 inch TV, next thing you know, you got a 72 inch TV. But essentially, that, that's what happened. People were so used to being blessed. Then what happened? The mortgage crisis, markets crash. Now all of a sudden, everybody's upside down. But here's the thing, is that God can, He, ha he has full control over all things, right? And God can re deal with rebellious men. And interestingly enough is that, I don't know if you guys, you all remember what was happening back then. Politically, that's when we were starting to have things that were these social justice things, such as the um, same gender, uh, here in Hawaii, we had the same gender union. And it was like, oh, you know, hey, we don't, we don't want the same, uh, we don't want same-sex marriage. All we want is the rights of benefits for, you know, the, the other individual and stuff like that. So we're beginning to go down this social path, this, this path of, depra of depravity. And you gotta wonder, the, was that was God trying to get our attention back then? Because obviously we haven't learned, you know, in the last two three years, it's gotten even worse, right? But let's get back to our scripture here. So, and then in verse number thirty-four, there God says, "Let me turn back there." In thirty-four, He says, "A fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein." America was flush. We were we were booming. 03, 04, 05, 06, 05, up until 2007. America was just going, gangbusters. And look at what the verse is, a fruitful land into barrenness. And then what happened? The housing market crashes, the financial markets crashed, right? People that had, I, I remember seeing clients' portfolios, you know, they would have to turn in their asset statements onto us, right? I've, I saw individuals that had um, uh, assets, mutual funds, savings that were like over a million dollars and within a matter of 18 months, 
they lost like 20%, 30%, going from a million dollars down to $700,000. It was crazy, right? But that's what happened during that time. And you gotta wonder, when you look at a verse like this, and when you read a verse like this, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them, notice what it says, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. You know, God does not impulsively withdraw his blessings from a land. If he turns a fruitful land into a barren one, guess what? We can be sure that the inhabitants have provoked him to their sins. We see what happened back in Psalm. Look at Psalm, going back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't have to turn there, but what we see here is the wickedness of the men that were living in that, in that time. In verses 4 and 5 in chapter 19, it says this, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house wrong, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Guess what? Everyone. It wasn't just the older folks. It was everyone, young and old. And they called unto Lot and said unto them, unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. You know, the depravity that was going on during that time. Sodom and Gomorrah got judged. And we see the same thing going on in America. The, 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 deprav the, the moral depravity that is going on in America, we have to wonder, is this part of God's judgment? And yes, I, I, I know that oftentimes God is trying to get our attention. The question is, are people, what? Are people listening? Are they paying attention? You know, it says that, God will do, and I shouldn't say it says, this is my commentary, God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. And oftentimes what happens is that if we will not yield to the Lord of harvest of obedience, He may forbid the soul to yield, to yield us a harvest, a brand. And then what do we do? What do we do? You know, we, we have this, we got the Ukrainian war going on. At the same time, we got uh, what is that energy crisis? You know, sadly, we have thank well, I shouldn't say thankfully. Well, thankfully, gasoline prices are closer to four dollars than they are to five dollars, right? You know, 75 cents makes a big difference, but at the same time, it was closer to three dollars two and a half years ago, right? You know, and we have all of these things going on, and, and, and we see. The the, uh, the depravity of going, what's going on here in America, and it's not just in America, it's all over the world. You know, what's fascinating is that I just read an article in um, about Russia. Russia basically outlawed the changing of one's gender on their license. So in other words, if you were born a male, you are male, and there's no way, no way about it. There's a law that basically says you're male until the day you die, right? Not only that, but they also passed a law saying that they could not change genders, unlike in America. And there's also a law stating that all of this, the moral, the act, the immorality that goes on that's permitted in America is outlawed in, in Russia. It's like, oh, maybe there's something good about communism. And I think more importantly than that though, is that even you know, it, it's like the Corinthian church when Paul called out the Corinthian church and said, hey, you guys have adultery going on in the church, but yet at the same time, you're not doing anything. You're boastful about it. Even the Gentiles are looking at you and they're, they're going, this is sick. This shouldn't be, right? And here we have a country like Russia, somebody that, you know, we, we um, 
not so much that we despise, but at the same time, we don't want to be under that, that type of uh, government, communism. But yet they are smart enough to realize that the things that America is allowing is not something that they will. Why? Because that's something that they know will destroy the country. So, and then in verse number 35, now we, we see this, this change that's going on in the Islam. He says, he turned the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. You know, God's authority is, is, is unlimited, right? He can reverse the condition of anything. And therefore, he can also change the lives of everybody. And he does. He does this to turn people back to him. Turn to Isaiah chapter 41. You know, oftentimes, God does, does things, and he does it because he loves us, he cares for us, and he wants what's best for us. Isaiah chapter 41. And what we see here is, you know, this takes place during the tribulation, Israel coming back. And, but notice what it says there, in, starting off in verse number uh, 17. Isaiah 41, verse number 17, it says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shitter tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord had done this, and the Holy One of Israel had created this. Notice in verse number 19. He will plant in the wilderness cedars, the cedar tree, myrtle, the oil tree. And, in, and he said, goes on, he says, I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. Essentially what God is saying is that in this wilderness, in this land that's desolate, he will plant something that will grow. And he can do that with all, all our lives. You know, I, I was talking to... I. I had a, a gentleman in one of my classes today, and he was talking about the fact that he's going to be maxing out. What that means is he's already done the maximum term, so he'll be getting out in um, September of 2024. So he's got a little over a year left, right? He's done his time, and I asked him, I said, what are you going to do? What are, what are your plans? He said, well, I'm planning to go back to American Samoa because that's where he's from, and he says that he, one of his good friends who he had met in prison is now a pastor over in Anchorage, Alaska. And his fr he had spoken to the friend about uh, a month ago, and the friend wants to go back to American Samoa. And what the friend wants to do is he wants to plant a church. Because he said, this, this, this guy that I was speaking to today, he says, there are no good Christian churches in my village back home. So that's what he wants to do. He wants to plant a church. He wants to help his friend plant a church in his village, right? It's desolate. It's barren right now. There's no. There's nothing there. But yet, his hope, his dream is to plant something. And I said, you know, if that is God's will, you'll get it done. I said, just keep praying about that. He says, yeah, his friend is looking forward to that. When he gets out, that he'll be, he can go back to America and some more. And that's a good thing, right? So here we see the same thing as, as in the what the psalmist says, that 
He turns the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. You know, where there's nothing there, where there's its barrenness, God can fill it up. He can bring, bring it, uh, uh, he can turn people back and turns uh, dry ground into something that flourishes. And you know, what's, what's interesting about this verse, I shouldn't say what's interesting, this verse reminds me of what Jesus said, remember back in John, <clears throat> talking to the Samaritan woman, right? He says this, he says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's talking about <clears throat> the, the uh, water from Jacob's well. He says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, the secret to living a fruitful life to living a um, a blessed life is to stay close to Jesus, right? To being being a part of Him and allowing Him to to manifest Himself, allowing Him His Holy Spirit to flow through us. And so we see that the um, how God can turn this evil into something that is good. How God can make a barren Christian. Uh, turn into something that can be fruitful or um, and multiply him you know and so like the woman the Samaritan woman it's Jesus that refreshes us you know sadly people are hungry people are thirsty today but what do they do they're not looking in all the right places you know I've gotten to the point where I go on to my phone to check the news I and I have some uh, not some I have a handful of sites that are bookmarked that I go for news and sadly even the sites that I have bookmarked they have turned very you can tell that it's it's biased they're slanted and it's like folks all I want are facts right and sadly the world today is trying to get you to be on their side or, or the other side it doesn't matter but they want you on their side how about this how about all of us be on God's side that's the best side that we can be on right but yet at the same time we got all these divisions going on and that's what the world is trying to do it's trying to divide us but here we see in this in, in, in this verse here in verse 35 God is able to turn wilderness into standing water basically he's saying I can turn this into a lake and turn it into an ocean you know, and dry ground into water springs. So water springs give us, give us, evokes this thought of uh, of something that's uh, refreshing. And then we get to verse number thirty six, and he says, "And there, there, he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation." You know, it is those that have gone without who can truly give praise to God for great mercies. As those, you know, it's like. Somebody that is, has been, well, as an example, I'm sure, like, Nathan, you guys have experienced this, going hiking, and perhaps didn't plan properly, and running out of water on a hot day, right? And it's like, oh my, and you realize that, hey, you know, I still got a way to go. You need to sustain yourself based upon 
very limited water. You have to, uh, uh, you know, survive on whatever you have. But here's the thing: then when you get to the end, when you can refill, it's refreshing, right? So you can appreciate getting a fresh, a cool drink of water when you've gone without. But if you've always had cool water to drink and lots of it, guess what? No big deal. You get somebody gives you some cool water, ice cold water. Doesn't make a difference because you got that all the time. But if you've gone without it for a while, and then when you get it, guess what? It, you can be very thankful for that. So here we see in this in this situation here, he turns the wilderness into no in verse number 36, and there he makes the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for uh habitation. You know, hungry souls make sweet music. When the Lord fills them with His gracious gifts. Amen. And you know the question that I have to ask myself is this. Am I hungry for what God can provide? I know what God can provide. But oftentimes what happens is that. Sometimes I think to myself that He's blessed me so much. That I take, I take things for granted. You know I'm used to. I should say I'm used to. But I, I'm not as grateful as I should be. For the things that He gives me. Because of the fact that he gives me so much, I, 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 he, he continues to bless me. And so I, I need to understand that I need to be more hungry for what God can provide. What does that do? It leads me to obedience, towards obedience for him. Because I have the question I have to ask myself is this. Am I satisfied with the scraps of what the, this world is providing? Because that's what the world gives us. It's just scraps. And you know, there may be a city for uh, a habitation. But understand this, when grace abounds, where sin formerly reigned, hearts find peace and dwell in God's love as in a strong city. You know, if you're living in a crime-ridden city, right, and then they're able to clean it up, as they did under um, Mayor Giuliani back in New York City. You know, they went from something like 2,000 homicides a year to... Uh, less than 800 I think it was right where it was not safe to walk in the streets to being safe it's something that you, you're thankful for and now what's happened is that they've gone the opposite way right and then like I, I read the other day it's a woman at uh, what was it Lowe's she confronts two shoplifters that are walking out of the store with like two thousand dollars worth of merchandise and all she did was she asked them, can I see your receipt? And she was hanging onto her cart. And I'm watching, there's, there's uh, I guess they had a video camera. And next thing you know, you see this, this person just punches her. You know, and she, this lady, she's like 60 years old. She's got this black eye, right? And guess what? Rather than Lowe's commending her, they fired her. But of course, because of all the public outrage, guess what? Low says they, they rehired her. But the point is this is that oftentimes people are hungry. They're looking for something. They're looking for safety. And you know, they're looking for something, but at the same time, people are not looking in the right place. And the only place that we can find us a, a place that satisfies our hunger, a place to lie down in, is what God has provided us, right? In fact, you know, this reminds me. And what God says in Psalm verse number uh, Psalm 23, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, it is God that satisfies our hunger. It is God that allows us to dwell in a safe place. And ultimately, it is Him that will provide or protect and give us what, whatever it is that we need. Verse number 37 there, it says, And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. Notice, so starting off in verse number 35, He turns the wilderness standing water, dry ground into water springs. He makes the hungry to dwell, and He prepares the city for habitation. So now that all of these things have happened, so now what happens? And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. You know, God's blessings encourage the believer to be diligent and work harder. When God sends his blessing, it does not supersede, but it should encourage us to develop more stamina. Should develop us to want to do better. Should develop or should encourage us to want to stay on the right path. You know, it's like, I remember the first time I had the opportunity, God allowed me to lead someone to Christ. It was addicting. I, 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 when I, I, I say addicting, it was addicting in a good way because I'm like, wow, I played a role. God allowed me to play a role in this person's eternity. You know, it's like, Nate, do you remember that time we were on the Big On, those three boys? Three young men, they were in a uh, uh, youth halfway house. And this was the day that they were allowed to come out and just have fun, be kids, right? They were like, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, young kids. And uh, Nathan and I had stopped there to take pictures of, it was, there, there was this river that was coming through the mountain but these kids were jumping off the bridge. And I was like, wow, looks like fun. So Nathan strikes up a conversation, long story short, we're able to lead these, these, these boys to Christ. And here's the, here was what was fascinating. So everybody's eyes are closed. We're praying, thanking God for, their, uh, for, um, for saving them. We open our eyes and you see all of this white flower or leaves. I can't recall what it was, but all this stuff just flowing down from the sky it was just like a fascinating thing right and here's so ultimately what happens is that as we sow or as as God allows us to um, as God starts to bless us what it does is it encourages us to be to do more good work you know we see these things going on around us it should uh, encourage us you know back in first Corinthians you have Paul planting, Apollo watering, but God gives the increase, right? His blessings should encourage us, the sower, the plant, and cheer the planter. And of course, we reward, reward the laborer. You know, it's, it's challenging. I shouldn't say challenging. Yeah, it's challenging because it can be discouraging. We're going out on Saturdays, passing out tracks, and I'll be frank, it's been close to a year, I think, since I've led somebody to Christ on the street. I, I've had the opportunity in prison to do it, but on the street. And it's like, sometimes you want, you know, you, you can't get discouraged going out and doing the same thing over and over again. But what we have to understand is this, 
if we don't do it, nobody else will, right? And so essentially, as God, like the verse says, and so the fields, we've been blessed. God is taking care of us, right? So we should be out there planting, and 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 He will allow us to yield the fruits of increase. Verse number thirty-eight. He blessed them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffered not their cattle to increase. You know, God's blessing is everything. A blessed man is a fruitful man. And when the Lord made the first prayer, right, what did He say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. And here we see Him restoring this blessing. You know, notice that along in this verse he says that and suffered not their cattle to decrease. You know, God's blessing carries over, not just to man himself, but also to the animals, the beasts, observe the beasts. Observe that the beasts as well as the men farewell when God favors his people. Their share, there's a sharing of men in the goodness of God, the blessing that he gives us. Verse 39, again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. So now the tone changes here. You know, God chose his province, not merely in blessing, but also in chastising. You know, if we return, what well, we have to understand when I read this verse, the first word there, again, again, they're minished and brought low. Why? We got these words that basically talk about affliction, oppression, affliction, sorrow. If we return to our previous behavior, is it a wonder that he'll bring us low also? You know, God can reverse the order of our prosperity, our blessings. You know, so also, so what we need to understand is this, is that let us walk before him with a great tenderness of spirit and be conscious of our dependence upon him. And be grateful for that. You know, it's like, I, I think to myself, for 36 years, I lived life on my own, doing things on my own, right? It's only been for the last 27 years since I got saved, then now I'm depending on God. But even then, it's still a learning process. But more importantly than that, is I need to be reminded that I cannot go back to the way, the life that I was living. Like he says there, again, they're minished and brought low. If I go back to the way I was living, that's what could happen. This is a warning here, right? Letting us know, you cannot go back to the lifestyle, the life that you were living. Enjoy the life that God has given us. Verse 40, he poured contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. You know, to God, one statue doesn't matter. You know, in the same way that God can turn a river into dry wilderness, He can take the princes, the leaders, um, whoever they may be, and bring them low and cause them to wander in the wilderness. And this is especially true for those individuals, those rulers, who subject God's people under oppression, affection, uh, affliction, and sorrow. You know, we see what's going on here in just in America with government officials. It seems like there is a a strong emphasis on trying to get God out of every place, the workplace, the school, the homes, and all, and all of this. And you have to wonder, why? What's the reason? Why are they trying to do this, right? And we'll see in the psalm what, what we end up with. 
But just to hit on this, he says that these people, these individuals that are leaders, you know, he can also cause them. Now they, they think they're in power. They think that they have the attention of everyone. They can do whatever it may be. But he can cause them to wander in the wilderness. You know, we have the first son, all the controversy that's surrounding him and the, along with our president. I don't know if any of this stuff is true. I really don't. But all I can say is this, is that based upon what I'm seeing, is that depending upon your belief system, you get treated in different ways. Right? You get treated in different ways. And we need to be, understand, even as a Christian, you know, we need to be careful about how we judge people. But I'm not going to say any more on that. All right, verse 41, it says, Yet said he the poor and high from affliction. You know, I love this. He goes from, he pours contempt upon princes, causes them to wander in the wilderness. And then in verse 41, there's an encouragement here. Yet said he the poor and high from affliction, and making him families like a flock. You know, in the same way that God can turn wilderness into pools of water, he can also lift up the poor and setting them up far from affliction and making their families like a flock. Take a look at a couple of verses here. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we see Hannah praying. Verse number 7 there. It says, The Lord make it poor and make it rich. He bring it low and lift it up. He raised it up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggars from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he had set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of the saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. You know, we can try to do things on our own, but ultimately it is God that is in control of all things. And in Psalm 113, let me read this. You don't have to turn there. Verse, uh, verses 7 and 8, he says this. He that raised, he raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with princes of his people. You know, so there's a, we have this encouragement here. God is to be acknowledged both in setting up families and building them up. And we cannot be envious of those that are in, in power. Why? For God has many ways of changing the condition of both individuals, those that are in power and those that are afflicted. Verse number 42 here. Says the righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all inequity shall stop her mouth. What do we? What? What? What do the righteous see? Well, God's righteous, righteous in the, uh, people can rejoice, knowing that how He can bring low the proud and oppressed. So all the things that we see that are going wrong, it's like they're all in God's hands, and they ultimately will have to face judge God. Divine providence causes joy to God's true people. You know, we see the hand of God in all these things, and we should be delighting in the ways of His justice and of His grace. When the judgments of God operate this way, people notice. And guess what? All inequity will stop. And where there are righteous, in other words, children of the light, there is no room for those of darkness, those that are involved in inequity. And the light should do away with the darkness. And when this happens, the families of God will rejoice and there will be nothing left for the wicked to say. The righteous shall see it. See what? See the judgments of God upon the the, the um 
the wicked. And at that time, they were rejoicing. You know, this will happen during the millennial kingdom. We know what's, we know what's going to happen. And oftentimes what happens is that we get impatient. We're not willing to wait. But what we have to understand is that God will, He, he will, excuse me, judge. And there will come a time where we will see this, where the, the uh, people that are in wickedness, they won't have anything more to say. They, they cannot defend themselves. Let's wrap this up. Verse number 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. This is important. You know, the psalmist has invited us to look at the way God works in the world, both in responding to those who cry out to him and his ability to bring low those that were high, right? And to raise up those that were low into um, into high places. And, you know, we should take notice of this. The conclusion of to the psalm transformed this psalm of its thanksgiving and praise to wisdom, a uh, uh, psalm of uh, psalm of wisdom. You know, the righteous will become wise. We should, okay, by studying how God acts in the affairs of man. And it's all of us, it's, it, we should be wise to observe what God has done in our life. You know, reflecting back and looking how God has worked in many different areas of our life. I was speaking to um, my supervisor on the facility. And when I first came on as a chaplain, the first thing she said to me was this. She says, do you remember when you worked for me? In other words, I was on her she used to run the, edu she was the education supervisor when I was back at Wyalva. And I was on her work line. I worked, I worked under her. And I said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, if you had asked me back then that 27 years later, I would be coming in as a chaplain, I would have told you, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Right? But here's the thing. God did this. And I was talking to my, somebody um, today, one of my, my work line. And I was telling him how God had done all of these different things, starting off from the time that I got saved to the time I retired from the mortgage industry and all the different steps that he had done. It was all God. You know, he opened doors, he closed doors, he directed, he needed. He, he, he showed me where he wanted me to be. So it's wise, very wise to observe what God has done in our lives. You know, he has given us eyes to see. And we foolish for us not to observe and learn what he has done in our life. Yeah. And throughout this psalm, we see the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. You know, I, I, I read this little um, diddle about this little girl. She says this. She's talking about essentially what we just ended with. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. She, she summarized it this way. She says, when I ask my mom for bread with butter on it, that is kindness. When she adds honey to it without me asking, that is loving kindness. <laughs> right? Oftentimes, we don't realize the loving kindness that God extends for us. Mm -hmm. Psalm 26.3 says this, for thy loving kindness is before my eyes 
and I have walked in thy truth. It is. You know, it, his loving kindness is for all of us to see. It is wise for us to recognize what he's doing, has done, is doing, and will continue to do in our life. We cannot deny that. But more importantly than that, I should say not more importantly, but remember what he says we started off six weeks ago. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God has saved us, right? He redeemed us. He bought us from that, from slavery. We were slaves to sin, and we don't have to be. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let everybody know what God is doing in our life and has done in our life. May we not be ashamed. Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. And Lord, it is truly amazing what you have done. We, As we've gone through this psalm, Lord, we see your loving kindness throughout. Father, we see how you've saved people out in the wilderness, how those that were in prison, that were caused by their own actions, how you saved them. How you saved people that were being tossed to and fro, Lord. But most importantly, Lord, you continue to care about us and you continue, Father, to just um, love us. Love us like we can never be loved. And Father, we are grateful for all that you do in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would not overlook and that we would take every opportunity that we have to be able to sing you praises and to give you all the honor and the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.